and welcome back to another episode of Lesson Learned, a podcast where we talk about things I believe aren't talked about enough, and so that someone somewhere might feel like they're not so alone in whatever they're going through. Last week, I did not post an episode because I had an extremely busy week, and when I finally had the time to sit down and just breathe, I kind of had an emotional breakdown and I couldn't stop crying for hours. And that itself was also very draining. There were so many different emotions that my body and my brain were trying to process through, including some that I had apparently buried for many years. But the emotions I felt most strongly was frustration. And I'll get to that in a bit. But before we begin, but before we begin, I want to put a disclaimer out there that there is profanity in this episode. I personally do not use profanity in my everyday language, but I will be quoting people and or articles directly, and I will not be adjusting the language because, one, I think we're all adults here, and if you're not, just be mindful that it's coming, and two, I think changing the language or substituting it takes away from the impact of the message that is being conveyed. If you guys don't know, well, you should, but if you don't, let me fill you in. If you guys don't know, well, you should, but if you don't, let me fill you in. Anti-Asian hate crimes have been on the rise since the pandemic, and President Trump's rhetoric regarding COVID-19 hasn't been helpful. For example, by calling the virus Kung Flu or the China virus. Don't get me wrong, racism and hate crimes are nothing new, but there has been a steep incline since, and I don't think it's a mystery why. When someone in a position of authority, such as our own president, is so casually using racist language in his speech and on Twitter and whatnot, it opens doors for other like-minded racist people to start coming out and using the same type of language and feeling liberated to use such language and treat Asians as less than human. But this episode isn't about racism, although perhaps it should be. This episode is about privilege specifically male privilege, and it's also going to be touching on sexual assault and violence against women. And before anyone goes on the defensive, I urge you to please keep listening. Male privilege does not mean that men don't have struggles. Of course they do. They're human just like everyone else. I'm not saying that male privilege is a bad thing because it isn't, not necessarily, But what it does mean is that there are certain advantages that males have simply due to their sex. And it can become something that blinds you to other people's reality because you don't experience the same disadvantages. Generally speaking, the male population lives a different reality than their female counterparts. And yes, even within the male population, there are people and groups of people with other privileges, such as white privilege, socioeconomic privilege, heterosexual privilege, and what have you. But those privileges listed don't affect only the male population. So again, today we're focusing on male privilege since that actually affects half of the world's population aka the female population. But before we get into that, we need to back up and talk a little bit more about what's been going on so you know why I want to talk about this. I can't even begin to tell you all the hate crimes that has been going on. There's just too many. But the one that really got everyone's attention was a mass shooting in Atlanta, Georgia that left eight people dead, six of whom were Asian women. 
And not to say the other two people don't matter, they do, of course. But the reason why we are focusing on the Asian women who died was because they were targeted. For years, Asian women have been sexualized, objectified, and fetishized. Sung Yeon Choi Maro, who is the executive director of the National Asian Pacific Women's Forum, says it's impossible to exclude race as a motive for the brutal killings. She says the Page Act of 1875, passed by Congress, essentially stopped East Asian women from entering the U.S. because they were seen as prostitutes. So from the get-go, we've always been seen as temptresses and sexual objects. And so the fact that those were the words used by the killer to describe Asian American women cannot be separated from these historical contexts from which we come from. And I can go on and on about this, but I'm going to refrain myself so I can focus on the topic at hand, which is a little more broad. The person who committed this blatant hate crime massacre is a 21-year-old white male. I'm not even going to mention his name because I don't care to share his name. I don't want this murderer to be known and to be identified by his name while those he ruthlessly shot and killed are forgotten. A 21-year-old man, or should I say a 21-year-old boy, was apparently addicted to porn. This is what was said about him. Someone that knew him said that he expressed a deep feeling of remorse and shame about his porn addiction and needed to return to prayer and to return to God. People who knew him described him as deeply religious and we become very emotionally distraught that he frequented these places. These places as in these massage parlors. Someone that went to high school with him described him as super nice, super Christian, and very quiet, adding that he walked around the school with a Bible. This, to me, is all the more upsetting. First of all, it makes him look like he's the victim. That we should sympathize with his apparent sex addiction as if it justifies what he did as if describing him in this way will help us to be understanding and let him slide. Yeah, he murdered eight people, and as a Christian, I am baffled and super offended that he is using religion or God as a reason to have murdered these people. Carrying around a Bible doesn't make you a good, holy person. It really doesn't mean anything if how you live reveals that you don't believe or understand the Bible or Jesus at all. And his apparent guilt for spending hours watching porn and going to these massage spas is what pushed him over the edge? Really? And his answer was to eradicate his temptation. If that's the case, he should have just shot off his own balls. The source of his temptation is within himself. But the issue here is that he, and what so many people do in general, is that he blamed the women. Instead of realizing the issue is him and what's going on within himself, he projected it onto women and ultimately killed off those women so that he could be liberated from his quote-unquote demons or his sins or what have you, and this happens all too frequently. If he really wanted help, then he should have sought out the counsel of his pastors or people from his church or have sought professional help or talked to a therapist, but no. His answer was to literally kill off the source of his temptation, those women, specifically Asian women, but not himself, right? Because he was fully convinced that it was these women who are causing him to feel this guilt, that they were the reason why he was falling into sin. And so he killed them, robbing their children of their mothers, their parents of their daughters, siblings of their sisters. So what does this have to do with male privilege? Well, first, let's define what privilege is, just so we're all on the same page. 
Merriam-Webster defines privilege as a right or immunity granted as a peculiar benefit, advantage, or favor. Dictionary.com defines it as a right, immunity, or benefit enjoyed by a particular person or restricted group of people beyond the advantages of most. A second definition they provide is the unearned and mostly unacknowledged societal advantage that a restricted group of people has over another group. So, male privilege is the system of advantages or rights that are available to men solely on the basis of their sex. Again, male privilege doesn't mean that because you identify as a male that your life is perfect and dandy and that you're struggle-free. That is not what I am saying. But what it does mean is that as a male, there are simply struggles and disadvantages that you don't experience because you are a male. You have the privilege of being completely oblivious sometimes to the things that the female population has to deal with constantly. And going back to my feelings of frustration that I mentioned at the beginning of this podcast, I was just so overwhelmed with frustration last week because I felt like what I've been fighting so hard for all of my life was all for naught. As a girl, you grow up with people believing you're weak and incompetent and there's jokes about women having to stay in the kitchen and we laugh about it. We grow up with people telling us how we should be dressing or what we shouldn't be wearing because if we wear the wrong thing, we're tempting men. We grow up believing that something is innately wrong with us because being a girl is an insult. It really is. If you tell a boy he throws like a girl, it's not a compliment. It's an insult, but why? Because being a girl is equivalent to being weak and incompetent. You throw like a girl means you can't throw, because girls can't throw, or at least they can't throw well. That's the assumption or belief, right? And ironically, if a girl or a woman defies the stereotype and is strong, competent, muscular even, she isn't praised for her femininity. She isn't described as Oh wow, she's strong like a girl. Instead, she's described as manly or masculine. And that too is an insult to the woman. But there's a difference. When you say to a boy or a man that he's being like a girl, it's offensive to the individual receiving the comment, yes, but it's also a hit to the entire female population. But when you call a woman manly or masculine, it's not at the expense of the male population. By calling a woman masculine, it's not putting men down. There's no negative consequence to the male population by calling a female manly. However, to the woman who is being described as manly or masculine, it's devaluing her as a woman. As if it's an atrocity that we have tossed aside a feminine figure and have a more muscular or masculine build. Because so much of our value as women is based on how we look. Our curves, our hair, the complexion of our skin, our boobs, our butt, which I don't have. But it's as if we should look a certain way for men. As if our value comes from what men see about us, when in reality, our value is innate and God-given. When I was looking at posts related to male privilege, oftentimes the comments were riddled with people saying that male privilege is a myth. Their number one argument, at least what I came across, was that females have privilege too. And honestly, that's 
really annoying because just throwing out a comment like that is detracting away from something that we are trying to bring awareness to and something that's really important to us. Another popular argument was that the majority of homicide victims are men, and that certainly is not a privilege. According to the Bureau of Justice Statistics, 78% of murder victims were male, and I think we can all agree that that is by no means a privilege. But that is also certainly not a female privilege. What advantage do females have over males in this example? Our privilege is that we don't get murdered as often by men. Like, I I don't get it. Again, male privilege doesn't mean the male population does not experience injustice or struggles of any kind. But I do think we need to differentiate privilege versus a non-privilege. Another fun little argument against male privilege is that they aren't as free to show their emotions as women are. And yeah, boys are taught from an early age to not cry, to man up, or take it like a man. And if you do cry, it's a sign of weakness. If boys are whining or complaining, you hear people say things like, stop being a little girl. But it's strange because... This issue of men not being able to be as openly expressive of their emotions is being argued against male privilege, aka in the favor of female privilege, but they don't talk about how the patriarchy exists and persists and has taught and passed down these idiotic values and gender roles. And someone like me is supposed to believe that because I am a woman and thus being more emotional is acceptable, that it is a female privilege while at the same time Being emotional, or in other words, acting like a girl or a woman, is being used as an insult towards men. So I'm supposed to be happy about this so-called privilege of mine when that same privilege is used as an insult towards men. Huh. Something isn't right here. I don't think that's an example of privilege, because how can it be? We're regarded as a weaker sex for being more emotional, or at least more openly emotional, and that's a privilege? I think men not being able to express their emotions as openly isn't an example of female privilege, but of toxic masculinity that's been passed down from other men in this patriarchal society. Another argument is women don't get drafted. And initially, I was like, oh shoot, I guess that is a privilege. That's a, that's a pretty good one. But upon further thought and some research, I no longer believe that it's an advantage. And here's why. In an article I came across, it explains that although this notion of having to serve on the front line seems like a privilege, it actually is not very advantageous because 1. Women were not the ones who created the policies. 2. Women have fought and continue to fight against policies that bar them from equal participation in the military. 3. The basis for the policies are rooted in benevolent sexism, i.e. the idea that women are too precious or fragile to participate. And 4. Women, both civilian and military, are specifically targeted by brutal tactics such as rape. Far from enjoying a special status that they specifically asked for and wanted, women were simply expected to desire the system because they were seen as nurturers who need or want protection from men. Even though this position is, at first glance, advantageous to women, it, in fact, limits their ability to choose their own career path, reinforces the idea of women as weak, and doesn't actually protect them from harm. Okay, so going back to my frustration... Instances like this, like what the 21-year-old guy did, happens more often than it should. 
not necessarily the shooting, but the blaming, pinning the blame on women, women being chastised for their choice of clothing, being called a skank, a slut, a whore for wearing something that apparently is showing too much skin, while a man won't hear anything if he gets too hot on a summer day and decides to take off his shirt. We live in a world where a rape conviction will be thrown out if the victim, the woman, was willingly intoxicated. If she was already drunk before meeting her attacker and he wasn't the one to give her the drinks, then he can't be charged of sexual assault. And cue people blaming the woman for wanting a night out and getting drunk. And by the way, that's actually a true story. It happened just a few days ago. The Supreme Court in Minnesota ruled out a rape conviction because the girl was already intoxicated. Again, I don't know the full story or background, but seriously, the response should be that we need to teach our boys better. We need to teach our men from a young age that that is not okay. To not take advantage of a drunk woman and to perhaps not even approach a drunk woman. To understand what consent is, like what it actually means, and to respect women. As I often do, I took a poll on my Instagram specifically for the guys. I asked, after hanging out with your bros, do you say, text me when you get home? My guy friends have said that to me, and I appreciate it so much. But between guys and other guys, only around 42% said they say, text me when you get home. And 58% said they do not ask that question. I asked the same question just to the ladies, and 85% said that they say to text me when you get home, and 15% said that they don't. And honestly, I'm part of that 15%. Uh, But my female friends almost always tell me to text them when I get home. And I'm so grateful. I usually say it back, though, when they do tell me that. But Instagram polls aren't actual research, and I get that. But still, I do think it's revealing of male privilege. For the most part, men don't walk around fearing that a person of the opposite sex might harass them or say inappropriate comments about their appearance or make a sexual joke. Why do the majority of women tell each other to text the other person when they get home? Well, because generally speaking, we tend to be biologically smaller, and when we go through puberty, our bodies produce more adipose tissue, aka fat, while men produce more muscle. That is an advantage. And since, again, generally speaking, we tend to be smaller, it's easier for a man to overpower us. We could be attacked, harassed, or assaulted on any given night. By whom? Usually by men. According to a quick Google search, 91% of sexual assault victims are female, and 99% of the offenders are male. But just to be real, these are old stats from 1997, so it could be a little bit different now. But I'm going to guess that it's not too far off. According to the CDC, one in five women have been raped or have experienced attempted rape. Whether you are a man or a woman, I can almost guarantee that you know someone who has been raped or sexually assaulted. You just might not know it. On my IG, I asked a really sensitive question. I asked, for those who don't mind sharing, have you experienced sexual assault? 52% said yes, and it consisted of both men and women, and 48% said no. And of the people that responded no, I asked if they knew someone who was sexually assaulted or was the assaulter. 80% said yes, that they knew someone who was sexually assaulted or they knew someone who did the assaulting. 
I can't tell you how many times after news about a sexual assault victim that I've heard people say things like, well, she shouldn't have been wearing that, or, well, she was flirting with him, as if wearing a particular clothing or flirting with a guy means that she was welcoming sexual assault or asking for it. I promise you, no one is asking to be raped, ever. It doesn't matter what a woman is wearing or if she's even naked. It doesn't matter if they're in the middle of foreplay or in the middle of sex. If a woman changes her mind or says no, then it is not consensual. You don't get to abuse your power by dominating her and forcing her to have sex with you because you feel led on or because you feel sexually frustrated. A woman is a human being and has every right to change her mind, even if you felt like it was going in a certain direction. Men are not justified to rape or hurt a woman because he feels teased or frustrated or angry. In several comments, I've seen people say that if you give a woman a gun, she wouldn't have to be afraid to walk around at night. And for me, this is really frustrating to read because... It's taking the responsibility off the man and putting it on the woman to protect herself and cover all her bases, which she should, and she probably will, but shouldn't the emphasis, again, be on educating our boys and our men better? Encouraging men to be examples and role models to other men and young boys on how to be a respectable man and how to speak and treat a woman? To not talk about her as a sexualized object in a private or a public setting, but to treat her respectfully like a fellow human being. Also, if you give me a gun, I personally would not feel any safer or more empowered. If a guy who is twice my size comes up behind me and grabs me, how will I have time to grab my gun and defend myself? I am a very small woman. And I know that I can't overpower a man who weighs twice as much as I do. Kenya Bundy, a black woman, started a Check Your Privilege challenge on TikTok. And I think it was a great way to bring awareness about certain privileges people possess. So let's try one for this. Hold up your 10 fingers. And if a statement I say applies to you, put a finger down. However many fingers remain up is the amount of privilege you have. And of course, it's not actually the amount of privilege you have, but for the sake of this exercise. So assuming you have your fingers up, put a finger down if you've ever been catcalled walking down the street by a random stranger. Put a finger down if you've worried about people judging you and questioning if you're a good parent because you've decided not to quit your job after having kids. Put a finger down if you can go walking at night without someone else, namely a male, go with you. Put a finger down if the anger you expressed wasn't attributed to being that time of the month. Put a finger down if you're the one in the relationship that's expected to cook, clean, or do laundry. Put a finger down if you're the one in the relationship who is expected to be the one to stay home and give up your career to care for your child. Put a finger down if you've worried about or have experienced sexual harassment in the workplace. Put a finger down if you're the one that's expected to change your name after marriage. Put a finger down if you're expected to shave your legs, armpits, and put on makeup for every social occasion. Put a finger down if saying that you wanted to have children someday would lower your chances of getting the job. 
And honestly, I can go on and on and list at least 20 other things, but for this exercise, it's just 10 statements. And if you only have one finger remaining, it doesn't mean you only have one privilege or that you have none. It's just to open your eyes a little bit to the privilege that exists. And if you have all 10 fingers up, you don't need to feel guilty. It's not a bad thing that you haven't had to experience these things. But the fact that some of you haven't, that itself is a privilege. I personally have been catcalled. Even when I look like a freaking bum, it's really weird. And it's uncomfortable because you know that random men are staring at you and choosing to call out to you. And it's scary because if they so wanted, they could overpower me and assault me. And the potential of what could happen is frightening. I've been stalked inside of Walmart after a guy gave me his number. And I've had another guy follow me around Target and talk to me while walking around me in circles asking for my number. I told him I have a boyfriend, but he said, it's okay. And that response I've heard on multiple occasions where people don't even respect you being in a relationship anymore. And the expectation from society is that women need to look a certain way and maintain their beauty for as long as they can because for shame if they gain weight and let go. In media, women are depicted a certain way for men's benefit to be eye candy and are reprimanded if it falls short. Dads can have dad bods, which just means that they have a beer belly that resembles a pregnant belly. But for women, after pregnancy, a woman feels immense pressure to look the same way she did pre-pregnancy. There's constant expectation for women to look presentable. We need to wear makeup, heels, dresses, do our hair. And of course, we can't wear the same dress twice, but men can wear the same suit over and over and it's fine. No need for makeup, no need to shave their armpits or legs. I've had men tell me how to act, speak, and dress. I've even had guys tell me what my period was supposed to be like. I've been asked, is it that time of the month because I got angry? Instead of asking for clarity on why I'm upset or taking responsibility for saying what they did to make me upset, the reason why I'm upset is solely related to me being a woman on her period. I've heard men complain, I can't even compliment a woman anymore. Can't a compliment just be a compliment? Melvinder Singh, I don't know if I'm saying his last name right, but God bless him. He posted his interaction with his male coworker on social media that helps paint a pretty good picture, in my opinion. Coworker says, this sexual harassment shit is fucking ridiculous. What, now I can't even tell a woman she's pretty without getting in shit for it? Melvinder responds, well, we've worked together for two years and you've never told me I'm pretty. The coworker says, that's different because you're a dude like me. To which Melvinder says, gotta tell ya, that's a little disappointing because I think you're pretty. The coworker says, cut that shit, bro, you're creeping me out. Melvinder responds, so me telling you you're pretty when you neither asked for nor welcomed comments about your appearance is making you feel uncomfortable? Hmm, interesting. And interesting it is indeed. This is all to say, all of this is so frustrating that even after 30 years of being on this earth that I still need to talk about women's issues and fight to be heard. So if you're a male, how can you use your privilege to help empower the women around you and help us even feel a little more safe? Well, by listening to us, our stories, and respecting us as human beings and equals. 
don't try to teach us and tell us how to do things unless we ask, of course, or minimize our struggles. Encourage women to speak and share their experiences. If you hear sexist speech, call them out on it. Don't laugh and don't let it slide. That only perpetuates the problem. And this might go without saying, but don't touch us. I mean, context really matters. If it's a high five or a handshake, that's acceptable and both parties see it coming. And I know some things aren't done with bad intentions, like placing your hand on the small of our backs to guide us in the right direction, or placing your hand on our shoulder, or taking our hands and telling us how beautiful we are. But more often than not, unsolicited touching and comments too are very uncomfortable for us and sometimes very, very triggering, especially for women who have experienced sexual harassment and assault. But the best thing that you can do to help us is to talk to other men about these topics because it's not enough for women like me to keep talking about it to other women. That's just an echo chamber at that point. But we need men to educate other men. A man can listen to a woman, tell him how to speak to her, treat her, etc., etc. But what we really need are men to initiate these conversations with other men. We need men to talk to one another about sexual harassment, gender stereotypes, and gender bias. We need men to work together to not harm women. We need men to interrupt oppressive language and behavior in others, to have conversations with their sons about women's safety and consent. We need men to do their best to be examples and role models for other men. So please, if you haven't already, please start talking about it. Zhao Zhe Tan, 49 years old. Delena Yan, 33 years old. Hyunjung Grant, 51 years old. Yonghye Yu, 63 years old. Sunja Kim, 69 years old. Sunjung Park, 74 years old. Paul Andre Michaels, 54 years old. Dao Yu Feng, 44 years old. These are the names of the victims of the horrific Atlanta shootings. They each have families and they each have their own stories that were cut short. Please stand with me and other Asian Americans against racism and hate crimes against our people and our community. For more information, if you'd like to make a donation or if you'd like to report a hate crime, please go to stopaapihate.org. Again, that's stopaapihate.org. Thanks for listening in to another episode of Lesson Learned. This episode was one that was very close to my heart. I spent hours upon hours doing research and reading articles and trying to educate myself as much as I can, and I still have so much to learn. If there's anything that I've said that you disagree with, or if there's something you'd like to add, or perhaps a topic you'd like me to talk about, please feel free to send me a DM on the Lesson Learned Instagram at LessonLearnedPod, and I promise I will get back to you. And as always, if you haven't already, please give this podcast a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts if you do have an Apple device. 
And please make sure to give this podcast a follow on IG at Lesson Learn Pod and my personal IG at Anjo Lee. That's A N G J H O L E E. And I am your host, Angie Jolie, and I'll see you next time on Lesson Learned. <laughs>